This is the Betting on Zero podcast, inspired by the award-winning 2016 financial documentary Betting on Zero, with hosts Burke Koontz and John Fickthorn. Uh, oh, there we go. You're recording. Okay. All right. Here we are. Betting on Zero. Our podcast <laughs> continues. I think this is podcast number X. To us. Yeah, exactly. No, we're, into, we're, we're in a double digits now, and I think we might, we might even be in a double digit listeners at this point. So, and maybe after today, <laughs> maybe after today, even higher. Given the, the higher, you're really you're really building it up. Am I sure I want to do this? <laughs> no, we, we actually we, we we actually do have double digit listeners. <laughs> I think we're approaching we're approaching we're know, approaching four digits. We're approaching yeah, exactly. four digits. Exactly. Uh, yeah, but uh, let, let's welcome today a, an actual host of a show, yeah. Scott Wapner. We uh, really appreciate you coming on. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for asking me to come on. Been a while. Just, it's just always fun to say that back to somebody who only says it to people. It's great. You know, I, I like to yeah, occasionally right? go to the other side of the table. So, uh, so this nice, is great. It's nice to be welcomed. Yes, yes, exactly. So, uh, and also a fellow herbal life icon, Ackman documenter of the reality. So, you know, it's a small club who bothered to do that. Uh, yeah, we, we love your book. Burke and I have both been reading it and it, it, uh, brought back a lot of memories and triggered a lot of emotions, frustration, anger angst happiness yeah, yeah. and other uh, yeah so, so so i apologize that i hadn't read it prior uh you know to this week and it's it's amazing to me you know so it's it's you know when you know when the wolves bite and um i uh it, I, I i was telling john before you joined that i was up until you know two last night just like reliving this whole battle uh <laughs> you know and mm-hmm. all of the uh and all of the little nuggets that i frankly had begun to forget after some t- passage of time but you know you you forget that uh you know all the different people that were involved at one point or another on one side or another but you know may, i'd love to just kind of yeah. maybe start off by uh you know going back to that you know that amazing day you know that everything kind of erupted uh you know on your set and just kind of talk about you know maybe how uh, you know, how that moment, you know, then maybe perhaps influenced the next several years of your career. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't believe that it was that long ago already. Um, eight years. It's shocking. It, it literally seems like yesterday, you know, here we are in March of 21. It was January 25th of 2013 when that all went down. I just can't believe that it is, when I think about it. That is and, crazy. um, you know, one of those things that kind of came out of nowhere. I, I just didn't have any, I had zero expectations about what was going to happen that day, other than we were going to interview Bill Ackman. He was booked. Mm-hmm. You know, we were going to interview him on the, on the short and I suppose a few other things that he was involved with at the time. And, you know, Icon ended up calling in and the next thing you know, uh, the story that would define my career certainly, you know, for a period of time, kind of developed. Um, who knew? But, you know, it, it was a moment in time for sure. And it, it really dominated my reporting for a number of years, because there were so many different twists and turns and people who were in there. And it was a story unlike anything that we had seen up until that point, certainly in terms of star power, uh, old school and new school, just the amount of 
dominating personalities who yes. were all involved at one time or another. You just don't really get that ever. And, you know, I didn't realize until reading your book, frankly, and I wish I'd known this before we made the movie, how really that, that conflict that was a highlight in, on TV for you really was a bigger influence in the story than I thought, right? I mean, Icon really did want to get Ackman back, it seems like, and, and that really was the driving force. He didn't give a crap about herbal life. I mean, he's now stepping down off the board, but I've even spoken to some of former Icon employees who were board members for his other companies, and they were like, no, you guys are right. Like this, we didn't care. <laughs> and, and so it yeah, really- I think it was a vehicle. It uh -huh. was a vehicle, right? Um, yeah. You know, it's, Carl always sort of maintained that he was a believer in, in the business itself. And look, I mean, he's not going to buy all of the stock that he did if he didn't think that it was something. Um, but obviously the, the, the mode of, of influence for him was the fact that Ackman was involved and he had had this long simmering feud with the guy and he was waiting for his opportunity, kind of laying in wait, you know, as, as a viper does. And when he saw the rabbit come along and, and, you know, say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm short right. a billion dollars and uh, I'm right. Uh, he pounced, you know, I mean, I, you, you say he wouldn't have bought it if he didn't think there was something there. But I was sitting in a limo with Ackman on my way to one of our movie premieres when he got the call from his trading desk that Icon wanted to unload his entire position. And was there a bid? And, yeah. you know, Bill turned to me. I had to square confidentiality. I couldn't trade the stock. And he's like, you're not going to believe the call I just got. And then when he made the terrible mistake of going on TV and saying it, yeah, yeah. I disappeared. Icon lied about it. Icon said I wasn't going to sell the stock and turned around and fucking bought it and yeah. jammed him a so second was, time. <laughs> yeah, I was. I remember when that happened. Obviously, that was uh, that was on Squawk Box where where Bill had called in and he had said that. And uh, I think I was on vacation and I think I was standing off of a driving range wherever I was, because I remember speaking to Icon after that. And, um, you know, obviously then he, he, he made the moves that, that he made. I guess I just mean in the sense that, you know, Icon was not going to, I, I don't necessarily think he was going to buy Herbalife shares, you know, even if he, he thought that the thing was a complete dud just so he could get back at Ackman. Right. I think he saw a real opportunity to make money. He convinced himself that there was something really there. And if he could get Ackman back on the top of it, it was the cherry on top right. of the sunset. Right. That's was... kind of how he's put it. And, you know, that's the kind of investor that he is. You know, it's it's funny reading your Could book. Uh, I'm know, just, I think Ackman was the Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a yeah, little that, bit that's fair. Right. It's <laughs> certainly the opportunity. Mean, he said it, I think, on your show at one point. He said, look, you know, I, I, in, a, in a way, I, I thank Ackman for it. You know, that he, he created this opportunity. And, uh, and it was, really, you know, the inverse of what Bill had always said, which, which was that, uh, that, you know, he was going to try to do something um, you know something good for america and uh and make money for his investors and, and in essence he 
he you know exposed him, himself to significant uh, losses and and that of his investors. And I think that I always got the sense that was what bothered Carl was that was that he was doing this with outside capital and uh, and it, it seemed to kind of violate some kind of a. Uh, it, it seemed to really get to Carl. Maybe one thing uh, I, I noticed in just reading the book is, mm-hmm. you know, cause I, I knew a lot more about Ackman than Icon just because of, you know, we were filming Bill and we, and we never, we never met Bill uh, until, you know, very, very late in the game. And we, you know, it was all our director who was doing it and we were never involved in the stock. Um, but, uh, but Icon is, you know, w- when I read your book, you know, he's a much more sympathetic character that, than I had anticipated, or at least he's, at least he's, I don't know, like I had no idea he was a, he was a philosophy sure. major at Princeton. Yeah, I thought that was amazing that, that, uh, that you know, that, uh, it, it, that doesn't fit with what you see, uh, you know, on CNBC, for example. Yeah, no, he, um, he's a unique character, really, in, and of, in, in his own right. You know, he, um, he's a very thoughtful person, super duper smart, uh, incredibly well-read, an, an amazing student of history. Um, you know, the, the conversations that I've had with, with Carl, you know, so many uh, over the years and the stories that he tells and the sense of humor that he has. He's such a complex person. M- most people in, in uh, you know, I don't know how old you guys are, but uh, I, I think, you know, I'm basically in the same generation. Yeah, I think we're about the same um, age. <laughs> you know, you, you only know sort of, Carl, what you've seen for the most part over the last decade or, you know, a couple decades on, on television. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, confidence and bluster and, and this, that, and the other thing. But I learned a lot about the guy. I didn't realize how he got started, you know, really the true sense of it, how his, you know, parents wanted him to be a doctor. And he sort of, you know, stumbled, if you will, into the Wall Street world because of his uncle uh, who helped him out to, to get going. But I've never met anybody who is really that, he's, like in, intelligent, right? The playing chess when others are playing checkers like every day of his life. Mm-hmm. He's just super smart. He's literally thinking three steps ahead of you uh, before y- you thought that. It's just his presentation is is Queens. It's street. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's a street guy. He's a street <laughs> fighter who in, in the deepest sense is as polished as you could ever possibly be under the surface. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And look, he took it. Ackman did present a vulnerability, which is just a further piece in a mosaic of why you might make an investment, right? Like, okay, this guy's massively short. I now know he has to buy it at some point. And great, I, they've got cash flows. We can get on the board. I, I, you know, I'm sure he was familiar with Michael Johnson. So that is interesting. It's a different perspective than I had with Carl. Uh, I just know him kind of through the activist attacks he's made. And I appreciate it being an activist, but I haven't really gotten to see him on the chess side and seeing as how he was on the other side of kind of my herbal life thesis, even though we weren't in the stock, I, I I had some resentment. Yeah. Uh, But that was the first big short setup. Now we, now we've moved on to other, I mean, look, we know as a short seller and you know, because you've seen them all, the short squeezes are a kind of once every three years, five years, whatever it is, eight years, I feel like we have another one, whether it was Learn Out and Houseby and then Volkswagen and then Herbalife and GameStop. 
Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So I, I, yeah, give us, give us your thoughts from your perspective on what you're seeing in this short squeeze and the players. I don't know if I see a chess player in here as much as a whole new form of investor base, the, the meme stock and the social media mob that is affecting massive stock prices. But what's, what's your right. take in this one? Well, I obviously immediately thought back to the Ackman short of a verbal life in this whole Melvin capital and GameStop thing. It's kind of unavoidable to, to think about. It. And I also thought about, could you imagine what it would be like right now if Ackman had been as public with his short now uh, <laughs> against the Reddit crowd? Um, right. You know, you, you can't even imagine where Herbalife shares could possibly go <laughs> right. literally in a single day. Right. I mean, right. That, that's kind of the way that, that things are, that are, that's kind of the way things are trading. So I thought a lot about that. I thought a lot about the context of, you know, people were talking about, well, is it okay that you have a, a message board essentially of, of Reddit traders who are sitting there and sharing ideas and conspiring, if you will, that's a loaded word, but I don't mean mm -hmm. it with any negative connotation, um, conspiring to go after a short. And well, I, I, I thought, or at least to take a position in the stack, it just happened in, in this point to be against a short. And I thought to all those idea dinners that we've all heard about forever I, that mm -hmm. you know some of us have probably been to and participated in, and what's really the difference? What's the difference between a, a bunch of multimillionaire hedge fund guys sitting around a clubby steak room eating, you know, a bunch of filet and drinking expensive wine than a bunch of, you know, young, brash retail traders congregating in social media coming up with an idea? Hey, you know, the, I, I noticed this thing's got an un unbelievably large um, short um, waiting to it. L let's, let's go after it. So I thought of it a lot obviously um you know it's one of those it's a moment and this is one of those rare moment in time stories you know people right. who are interested in this stuff are going to remember oh yeah that GameStop thing you know when, when you have something that sort of gets to critical mass and you start seeing it on the regular mainstream media and the evening newscast right. you you know you've you've struck a chord um you know, I don't know. I, I, I was involved in the GameStop thing only in the sense of having Chamath Palihapitiya on my show and having this, you know, big blow up debate conversation about, you know, what the implications of it were, um, which, which, you know, I, I thought was interesting. But, well, it, you know, we were talking, we, we have somebody who's making a GameStop documentary who we've been talking to, uh, which will be interesting. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I was making the point to him. One that of many, probably. One yeah, of many. No, I, I think, think, I think the counts up to eight, thinks, not including ours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he started filming yeah. it in December because he started getting involved in the Wall Street Bets chat room which makes it kind of interesting because he's been interviewing these cats on wall street bets and my point to him was you know yeah. they're stock jockeys and we we are stock jockeys hedge fund guys stevie cohen's yeah. a stock jockey as much as anybody he's probably yeah. the king of stock jockeys and you know it's it's too bad that those guys think that they're fighting against us. No, we're all just stock jockeys. And C.V. Cohen tried to kind of wade into their world and say, hey, guys, what's up? Tell me about GameStop. And they immediately, like, turned against him. Oh, you're a bad Wall Street yeah. guy and, and gave him death threats. Too, 
and he suits, right. and I'm like, Stevie Cohen's the farthest thing from a suit. I mean, that guy almost got put in jail by the, by the regulators. Like, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think there's a lot more similarities, to your point, between an idea dinner and Wall Street bets than they think there is or yeah. they realize. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. With, I don't disagree with you at all. I think I think a lot of people on a lot of sides took advantage of the situation to create a narrative that sounded great. The little guy against the big guy, you know, the, the guy who always loses out against the guy who always wins. I don't buy it uh, fully, to be to be honest with you. Um, I think this was a group of smarter than you think small traders who are interested in stocks and had been day trading stocks for a while. Um, obviously smart enough to notice an anomaly in the way that somebody was positioned in a said stock that was at least, you know, knowable and popular in terms of the name GameStop to, you know, that the current environment we're in, right? Young millennials playing video games. I mean, everybody knows GameStop. Right. Um, I think it was no, no more, no less, right? Some hmm. smart people, some smart young traders saw that. They started investing in it. They started talking about it. And then it was almost like the icon thing. If you, you know, the cherry on top would be to really blow one of these shorts out. Right. So, you know, let's go all in, drive this thing like a rocket ship, you know, with the meme right. and all that and, and, and go from there. Um, I, I think they deserve more credit than they probably got at the beginning um, as, you know, a mob of unsophisticated traders. I think it was, you know, probably anything, but were there some unsophisticated traders along for the ride? Sure. But, right. you know, there are not as sophisticated but they were, big investors who go along for the ride sometimes, too, you know? Right. Right. Well, you they, can say, there was say probably that about a leader Ackman, to the herd. Right. I mean, you could even level that at Ackman to a certain extent as it relates to Herbalife because he was trying to ride on Einhorn's coattails for a while, you know, and he kind of waded into it. Yeah. Uh, you know, after Einhorn had... Uh, had been on, Gotten the, on the conference call. Right. right. You know, and, and, and they uh, were all waiting on yeah. my coattails because I really started it back in 2004. It's just nobody knew. Just throw that in there. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you, deserve, you deserve some credit for that. Right. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think, um, I, I think, I think this was a, a, a fairly smart cohort of people. My, my only concern at the time, and I think a lot of people's concern at the time was, somebody's going to get hurt mm -hmm. here. Like this is, it feels like a game and the gamification of the stock market. Um, but somebody is going to get left holding the bag. Not everybody's going to sell it when it goes to 450. You know, somebody's going to get left holding the bag. And maybe one of the biggest lessons out of the whole thing is, you know, a good portion of the, the cohort who we're talking about doesn't want the old school Wall Street types looking out for them. They're like, we'll deal with it our own way. You know, Scott, don't yeah. preach to us. Don't talk down to us. We right. may not be as sophisticated market wise as you are, but we'll figure it out. And if we don't, it's on us. So right. back off. Interesting. So what is, it's a, it's a fascinating thought. And I see that as I look at Wall Street bets today, that attitude is, is there, right? I'm not going to use the word that they call themselves in a lot of their strings, streams, but it is a derogatory term for slow people. And, but they mean it like, stop treating us like, you know, we're not worthy of investing because we are. And so I see that attitude pervasive. And so I'm kind of curious 
What is CNBC's role? What is your role as somebody who brings people on and talks about the markets and is somewhat of an educator or a transparency provider? What is your role in this world that is moving into social media and this kind of mob mentality? I use that in a derogatory way. I don't mean it to be of investing. Uh, is it appealing to retail? Is it still focusing on institutions? What do you think? How does, how does CNBC and Scott Wapner kind of see the future? Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to speak for the, the broader network, but at least for myself, uh, I always think about the viewer. Um, and I don't define them really in my, my mind as I'm speaking to them, whether it's a retail trader or uh, a sophisticated market participant. I always just try and you know, give the story straight, you know, try and get some provocative big interviews on the show, play devil's advocate at times when I have to for the sake of the conversation. It's interesting that, you know, when you do that, you sometimes set yourself up to be in a position where it comes off as, as if you're taking a side. Right. Right. Uh, and in today's social media age, you know, you get attacked pretty quickly, Uh um, no matter what you do anyway, but certainly (laughs) when it's perceived that you're taking a side, people can't wait to come out of the woodwork and throw the arrows at you. But, you know, I just try and sort of think about what my viewers are thinking of, you know, are, are some of them wondering whether they should have bought GameStop on the way up? Of course, who, who wasn't right. You're watching, you're watching people get rich overnight. Who, who doesn't have, a little bit of God. I wish I would have, I would have bought it. Is part of me thinking as I'm having these conversations? Well, somebody's going to get hurt, pulled in the bag at the end. Um, so you know, of course, I'm going to bring up those sorts of, of issues. I'm, I'm trying to think of what I think the network in general. Look, I, I mean, I think we try and educate people on the the risks and the rewards of the stock market. At the end of the day, people are watching us to make money to hopefully get rich. We want people to make money. We don't want hedge funds to make money at the expense of the quote unquote little guy. We want everybody to consume what we think are, you know, straightforward, good, smart, professionally presented ideas from those who are in the markets. Ultimately, you're gonna make your own decision on what you should buy and sell but we don't have a side in the, in the game. Our side is to educate and help people make money. We'd be happy if everybody, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking for myself. I'd be happy if everybody made money. I don't care what their, their net worth is. I mean, what's the, the point of the whole game if you're investing in the markets to make money, right? What, even if you're shorting stocks, you're trying to make money. And yeah, you know, I just feel like it used to be... CNBC was the thing you saw as you walked into everybody's office. And now I think whether the, whether the Wall Street bets group wants to admit it or not, they're all watching, right? And I'm sure you get responses from them based on the interviews you do. And, and maybe you have much more social media interaction. I don't know if you, you do or not from, from this new world of viewers. I hope more people play in the stock market. It's more fun. It, more liquidity. I hope everybody does it. I think it's a great way to make money. And I think it's a lot of fun to do anyway. So uh. I think it's amazing, right? I mean, I, I think there is a renaissance of the retail investor uh, for a variety of reasons, right? You've been in, in you know, a long standing bull market. You've had a lot of people at home looking for things mm-hmm. to do. 
you know, playing the same video games gets old. There were no sports on TV for a while, so you couldn't gamble. Um, so you can, you know, I could make a list of all the reasons why there's this renaissance. People like to make money. And, you know, the stock market is that vibe uh, and yeah. vice for them to, to be able to do it. I think it's fabulous. I, think, I mean, there, right. there literally is a rebirth of the, of the retail trader. First time probably in, you know, in, since the dot-com crash. Yeah. 20 years, you've got more people interested in the stock market. I think it's a great thing. Since, yeah, and, you, since you brought it up, do you think that we're approaching, uh, you know, an environment like that at all, or, or where are we kind of in the, the ending? I mean, I know you're you're not a you know, financial advisor, but I mean, but just you know, what do you, what what do you see? I mean, given the the types of stories that you guys are covering and the guess you come on, I mean, um, I, I know a lot of it has to be driven by kind of the the heat map of of uh, you know consumer and and custom, um, you know, viewer interest, but you know, what what do you think? You, you you've been around a long time. I think we're trying to all figure out the same question. Mm -hmm. I mean, stocks have gone up a lot since the March 23rd low of 2020. Mm -hmm. um, you know, can some of the same stocks that have worked throughout the pandemic continue to work when we get on with our lives? You know, some of them probably can. Can they all? Are they all going to grow into these lofty multiples that they've been trading at? Probably not. Are the epicenter stocks, as you know, some like to call them, the, the re reopen and return to to, to life stocks, have they gotten a little overextended? I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Things feel to me like, you know, the, the, the term that everybody throws out is roar, roaring 20s, that you could have another roaring 20s once everybody gets gets back out there. I want to believe that, right? The question is, is uh, it the roaring 20s the in thing. Germany in 21 or in the U.S. <laughs> in 29? <laughs> well, I, I, you know, right. I, I don't feel like, I don't feel like it's the 29, but, you know, what, what right. the hell do I know? Um, but I feel like there's a, a hell of a lot of pent up demand and that people are ready to get on with their lives. And I think things are going to explode, uh, in a positive way. How much of that is already in the stock market? I, I can't tell you. And uh, so, and so with that idea too far in anticipation, I don't know. Right. I, and I, I certainly agree with what you just said. Like I'm on a bunch of boards and participate with a bunch of companies in a very interactive way. And I, Obviously, there's pent-up demand in every sector, right? We all know it is in travel. Like, I can't wait to get on an airplane, right? It's a common refrain I hear people say. And I think we see that – I see that across the economy. There are a lot of things turning on. But the multiples are high. And I watched your interview with Kathy Wood from a week ago or whenever it was. And I used to work with her at Alliance briefly. Uh, and I listened to her. She's kind of – brings all of these themes in some ways together. She's a little bit of the democratization, the retailization of institutional money management. She's buying these kind of stocks almost under a, a new investment paradigm that takes Graham and Dodd and turns it on its head and says, I'm a long-term thinker and therefore the valuation right. doesn't matter. I want you to spend more because that means you're going to dominate your industry and be worth more. And I stand around yeah. in the morning and go, huh? Does that, is, am I not mentally flexible enough to figure this out? What would Graham and Dodd say to this? Does Warren Buffett nod his head and go, yeah, that makes sense. But so I thought your interview with her was fascinating, by the way. I thought you did a great job and I, I learned a lot and learned a lot about how she invests and everything else. I don't know. I'm curious as to your takeaway with your interview with her. I thought it was great. 
No, thank you. I, I honestly, the, 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 the most memorable line uh, from that interview as, as I took it from her was we don't want our companies to make money. That's right. We she, want them right, to invest. Right. It's exactly what right. you're alluding to. And it sort of jumps off to you on the screen. It's like, what? <laughs> um, now in, in her, in her defense and she, you know, she's easy when those stocks go down to, to, you know, throw stones or whatever. Um, she's raised a lot of money in a really, you know, fairly short period of time. I, I think she's got, you know, $60 billion under management. Now she's ridden a wave of those kinds of momentum stocks at a time where maybe some others didn't, didn't see it. I mean, she, she was probably a little early. She's been steadfast in her belief of Tesla and to her credit, that stock has rewarded her investors amazingly. And the other funds that she's launched have done the same. And her power, it's really, I've never seen anything like it where she could literally, and she did just say, well, I'm going to start a space ETF. <laughs> I have no idea yet, or I can't tell you yet what <laughs> stocks are going to be in it. And then everything uh -huh. that's even related to space just shoots to the moon, pardon the pun. <laughs> that just speaks good. to the level of power she has right now, which is, which is extraordinary and, and more power to her. The, the question of the other, the other issue is, and I've, I've had people, you know, reach out to me and, and say, um, she's, she's very concentrated in some names or she, she owns, you know, a large percentage of the float mm -hmm. in, in a lot of names, you know, 10%, 15, yeah. in some cases, 20% of, of, of companies. Uh, that's great when everything's going well. What happens if things reverse? Now, she had a couple days of the biggest outflows that she's seen in however many years. But I think yesterday was one of or you know, one, one, one of the recent days was one of the biggest days of inflows that she's ever had. So she's a rock star. She deserves it. A absolutely. It just raises... Uh, it just raises some questions about how we are used to doing and thinking about things. As you said, Graham and Dobbs, you know, turning over in their graves, like what in the world is that? You but, wanted to lose money. In yeah. fact, my last, my Maybe. last CNBC interview on your show, I recommended Tesla as a short and it was the <laughs> terrible call by the way. And the, uh, my thesis was this is the quarter they have to start making money. This is the moment where we determine whether this is a science experiment or, or a company because companies have to make money. And that's why Kathy Wood's quote disturbs me so much because <laughs> she actually doesn't want well, them to make money. Tesla's never made money selling a car. And yet the stock's a 10 bagger from where I recommended people short it finally on your show before I stopped going on TV. Uh, <laughs> And thank God for that. But uh, it's it. The other comment you got from her, which was equally as interesting, was when you asked about how do you manage cash. Somebody asked, "How do you manage cash? You're an ETF. You can't hold a lot of cash position." And she said, "I use diversification." as a method for managing cash. So I over diversify my portfolio as a way of building kind of reserves. And then when the market does a downturn, I sell the bottom part and I reconcentrate into the top of my portfolio, which to me, said her, uh, there, 
somebody said once about finance that the problem with people taking a lot of risk in finance is in, in, unlike in the natural world where people insure entire places like New Orleans, that doesn't drive a hurricane to New Orleans because there's a lot of insurance. Whereas on Wall Street, when somebody takes a really concentrated position, all of a sudden people might actively target it. Uh, and I wonder if Kathy, due to her success, has created potentially ways for people to target her that could have broader implications on the entire market. Well, given oh, how right, big right back to the Atman discussion. Right. right. Yeah. Right. I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you at all. I mean, you know, I think when things, I think, you know, certain parts of the market are obviously a, a little questionable still. I think people are buying puts on, on the funds. Um, right. I mean, I think that's, that's a fact. Uh, yeah. It, it, if you have, you know, outflows at the same times that the at the same time that the stocks, uh, those high flying, high multiple stocks are are going down. You know, among other things, yeah, you could have a broader impact on the overall market just because of how much money has flown into that space. But part of me also, John says, you know, may, maybe we're the ones who who don't get it. We we as the 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 way Wall Street used to be, people, right? Yep. The same people who are criticizing the Reddit crowd. Um, the world's changed, you know? The pandemic has caused a lot of things to be pulled forward and some things that will never return to the way they were. Yep. So it's true. the people who have seen that faster than others are the ones who are making a lot of money, like Kathy Wood. We're just assuming that, well, when the music eventually right. stops and we all get on with our right. lives, that there's going to be a comeuppance, and, and maybe that's not the case. I, oh, I asked the question sincerely, though. Or, I, right. I, I really do. I, like when I said maybe I'm not mentally flexible enough, I mean maybe I'm not mentally flexible enough. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm definitely wrong or definitely right. Like I just I think it's a fascinating question. Uh, I agree with your point completely. So, Burke, what were you going to say before no, I interrupted? No, no, it's fine. I, I was just I was going to give her some credit in that, you know, actually – to you know, have these concentrated positions is is a fairly you know Buffett and Munger type of approach. I mean, I'm not sure about yeah. the tax loss harvesting and things go down, but they, uh, but you know, you know, Buffett's famously said that you know, like, show me somebody who's making a lot of money on their seventh best idea. You know, I, yeah. I, I believe when I see it. So I mean, you know, she puts her money where her mouth is, and then, and you know, um, I don't know, it's got to be a read Howard Marks's letters, but you know, he he basically seemed to capitulate. Yeah, this past month where he says, well, you know what, maybe my son, Andrew is right. Maybe, maybe growth investing and value investing aren't that different at all. And I just need to, basically, he just said what John said, he need to be a little more mentally flexible and that uh, growth investing is about assigning probabilities of outcomes. And, and uh, you know, you don't want to see people re uh, paying out dividends. They can be reinvesting and taking over uh, market opportunities. And so mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, Unfortunately, you asked earlier how old we were. I think I think I'm maybe I'm too old <laughs> to be flexible enough. But but Kathy's older than I am. Try microdosing. To... I think microdosing might help you out. Mm. Maybe. <laughs> right, right. No, um, look, I, I think you I think you have to be flexible. I think you also have to you know maybe understand that the investor of the the, the present and the future and and more so the future is going to gravitate towards. The companies they know and like and are familiar with um, as well and have a, you know, maybe it's a, uh, they care about social justice. Mm -hmm. They, they care about uh, all sorts of green energy, you know, all, all sorts of things that investors of the past 
didn't think about front and center. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, um, you know, uh, ESG is what I'm, is what I'm sure. was escaping me. Uh, that's going to be a big theme going, going forward. You know, the new investor is going to think about stocks and companies ways that John probably never did. You know, are they going to be interested in, in industrial stocks, dirty, you know, or industrial businesses down the road? Eh, maybe. Are they going to be more interested in the technology companies that are changing the way we live our lives every day? Um, even if their multiples are seemingly too high for, for our own taste. Um, and I mean, I, I can't buy individual stocks. So I use my own as sort of uh-huh. thinking of the, the greater, you know, older school in, investor types. I think everything's changing. The way we live is changing. The investor psyche is changing. The way that the future investors think about the market is different. And I think we just have to watch and see how it, how it develops. So I have one more for you before we let you go, uh, which is crypto. Because I just, I mean, I bought my first Bitcoin at 30, but I think this is just, a, and by the way, I'm on the board of a blockchain company that sells tickets. So I, I am mentally yeah. flexible enough to understand blockchain. And I think Bitcoin at 50,000 is just frigging idiotic <laughs> but you keep having more and more yeah. people on your show kathy elon musk talking about doge coins like I, okay i'm not that mentally flexible help me so I, i'm not i am not a big crypto person um i don't do much of any of it on my particular show just because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not i'm not into it um you know i don't get it why is it fifty thousand? uh you know because musk said something about it yesterday so it goes up or you know, Novogratz, who said something about it, um, so it goes up. I mean, these are all obviously incredibly smart people, a hell of a lot smarter than me. So, you know, the fact that they get it and I don't, you know, more power to them. Uh, I just don't know what it is. I do think it's interesting. <laughs> I don't know what the end game of it is. Right. right? And I also don't, I, I don't necessarily, or I don't know how to view a Tesla or a Square uh, or any company buying Bitcoin. And I'm not sure how investors in those companies should feel about those uh-huh. companies buying Bitcoin, right. leaving yourself potentially open. Are those the kinds of, um, of investments you want your, the companies you're invested in to make? I don't know. And, and it, you know, and it I, doesn't, I'm you know, it's so, like so no, MicroStrategy is the dumbest of them all. And Mike Saylor makes me scratch anyway, always has. But, you know, since they've taken their dying software company, raised $2 billion in converts and dumped it into Bitcoin. So then now you have $2 billion of debt and you have $2 billion of Bitcoin, although I think it's worth more like four now. But you have an $8 billion company. So I, I don't know if, if I add all that together, since I think the software business is worth a fraction of that, I still come up with something I'm supposed to short, but that's what he's done, right? He's taken his dying business, converted it into Bitcoin. Now, my last thought is related to your previous point, which is ESG being more important. I think there's a huge overlap in the Venn diagram between ESG people and guys who are buying stocks like this. And I think Bitcoin and all crypto is starting to be viewed as very anti-ESG given the amount of power it consumes. And so it'll be interesting to see if that thought starts to permeate and where the clash is between Uh 
almost the political left and political right in investing when there's actually a lot of overlap, I think, in those two extremes, both politically. I think they've gone both gone so far extreme they've met on the other side. And so now I don't know how that's yeah. going to going to confront itself in the stock market, which is I don't know. Uh, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know. Is, is it a hedge? Um, is it, a, you know, a, 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 just an asset class of, of its own? I don't know. All I know is there are a lot of people with a lot more money and brain power than I have who think it's something. So <laughs> All right. let's see where it stops. I, I don't know. I honestly, I just don't, can't give you a better answer than that because I don't, I don't know. I that makes know. me feel I don't better. Any. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know either. Any, I'll tell you that. <laughs> right. I mean, right. I wish I, it's kind of like the GameStop. <laughs> it's really low and now it's 50. I wish I right. did. Right. Right. Uh, hey, uh, let me ask one more question, Scott. Then, uh, uh, John said he'd let you go. I'm going I'm to ask you one more. Just, yeah, just, just. Uh, I mean, from from that day back in what was it January uh, when you know Carl? Twenty fifth of twenty thirteen. Right, yeah. right, right. Not so, that I'm, not that I remember. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, you know, it's funny because John and I had actually flown up to um to Bill's uh, uh his Irisone um uh announcement. Mm-hmm. You know, right. like, we were we were poking around about doing a project with this film and uh and flew up there to hear him give the speech. So we we sat back there and watched it, and so we you know, got engrossed early on. And, and, you know, we, we hadn't at that point decided what we would do, if anything about a film, you know, I mean, Ted Braun, the director kind of took it over, made it his own. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny just listening to you guys chat so much has changed and so much has stayed the same uh, in the last decade. Yeah. I mean, th- 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 talk, talk about that for, you know, a minute or two, if you can, about, you know, what we, is there, we've talked about how much is different, you know, what, what is the same, if anything, <laughs> I mean, everybody's looking for an edge, uh-huh. you know, they're just doing it. They're just doing it differently. I don't think you're ever going to see anybody be as public with an investment as he was with that on, on either side, really. It just, it just doesn't lend itself to anything productive. Um, Targeted. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's also interesting, you know, activism has definitely changed. It's, you know, John, as you know, it's not nearly as public or pronounced as it was. I mean, there was literally, you know, after that happened, um, I really got immersed into the activist world. And there was literally a new story every day. I mean, yeah. I, I had so much to, to cover, it was unbelievable. And there just isn't that much anymore. I, I don't know if, you know, the activist playbook itself got tired. It's, here, here's my answer to that. And I think it's a really interesting point that you bring up that it's not as pronounced as it was. But I always said activism for me was failed value investing, right? I had this portfolio, growth stocks, value stocks, and then crap values that didn't turn around. I had to go fix it. So I became an activist. That wasn't the yeah. standard model, though. But the reason I did that and said I would never start an activist fund is because if you work the probabilities out, they don't really mathematically work out, right? First, you've got to find a crappy company and you've got to buy a lot of its stock. That's not a great setup to begin with. Then you've got to hope the stock doesn't go down not a lot. Not in a bull market. Not in a bull, not right. in a bull market where everything's up a lot. But, but you're still buying something that you think is poorly managed at the very least, or something's wrong. You're not right. totally sure what. So you buy a bunch of it. Then you've got to go make a bunch of noise and you've got to win a vote. 
So you may or may not win. You got to get ISS's recommendation. Then you may or may not win. So then you win the vote and you got to win the vote enough so that you get enough control on the board to actually make a change. But this moment is what I call the dog catching the car problem, where you're like sitting there trying to win this vote. And then all of a sudden you get in there and is it a mouthful of bumper or is it something better? Because sometimes you're wrong and it wasn't just crappy management and a great asset. It was actually a crappy company and the management was doing the best they could. It just looked like a bad job from the outside and it's totally not fixable. And so if you multiply all those probabilities against each other, you end up with not a great necessarily probabilistic outcome in investing. And so I and many others have adjusted our activist philosophy to what we call constructivist, right? Let's go find a management team that we can support and help, but it'll give us a board seat and a say, and we can kind of get involved. And that's, that's kind of where I think even a lot of today's activists that I deal with are, are kind of in that camp. Uh, you did make me, you made me think of, um, you made me think of something that jarred my memory as to what I think at the time I thought was a moment that maybe could have a profound impact on the activist landscape. And I think it was when the CEO, and this is another Ackman story, the CEO of ADP mm-hmm. went on, on CNBC and I mean, absolutely ripped um, yeah. Ackman. Yeah, and totally. Great. It was almost, it was, it was almost like, um, the collective Fortune 500 standing up at the same time and saying to activist XYZ, get the F out of here. Yep. I don't need to hear from you. I and the board are running this company and we're doing a good job. Your ideas are stale, tired, and the same cut from the same cloth as you hear all the time. And, and that's it. And I thought that was yep. a demarcation line of maybe that things were, were going to change. I don't know, you know, it was, no, that was a, that was a, that was a really big moment. I'd forgotten about that, but it was, he stood up. He's like, no, we're experts. You're not, your ideas suck. Like go bring it, do whatever you want. We have, we don't care. And I think there's, yeah. And then, um, I mean, he may have gotten, um, I don't know. He, he may have, he, he may have had ISS or whoever in his, in his, in his camp, at the end of the day, and he, he lost the vote. Yep. And it wasn't even close, I don't think. I don't remember exactly, but I don't think it was particularly close. And it was kind of like, you know, the stand, the CEO stood up on, on TV and said, you know, get out of here, Heisman time. And uh, I thought that was a profound moment. I remember thinking about that at the time. Yeah, I, I agree. And it has, activism has changed subsequent to that so what, uh, do, you, what so. do you think icon does from here people like that i mean i mean the, he's changed his, his stripes over the years from corporate raider well, now to, he's out right yeah well now he's, he's out of uh, he's out of herbalife finally he's oh no, no I, I didn't mean herbalife but i just i just mean sorry i didn't mean herbalife. i just meant in general you know what does this playbook uh look like is it still the same uh you know what, what do you think you you know well i, think, well, I mean i i see i see every other day uh it would seem like uh you know that 13 13D monitor um, that Kenny Squire uh, runs. I still see Icon's name popping up. Yeah, I think I saw another one yesterday where you know he has acquired more shares of XYZ company. Knowing Carl as as well as I do, that he's just not he's never going to slow down. Right. 
Right. He's just never going to slow down. I think he's like 80, 83 or 84, something like that. Good God. Birthday's like a day or two removed from mine. <laughs> but he's he's as busy as and sharp as he ever was. I still talk to him, you know, and he's always busy. Always busy. He's on the phone all the time. He's still got stuff going on. He's filing Ds. Hmm. I mean, awesome. Never going to stop. I love That's it. Great. I hope I hope I can say the same thing at 83 or 84 or anything with an eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll yeah, even take exactly. 58. And eight handles. <laughs> yeah. 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 Awesome. Hey, Scott, thank you. Thank for you your so time. Much. Thanks for your yeah. thoughts. Thanks for yeah, doing yeah. what you do. And good luck finding the truth out there for all of us. We'll be watching. Trying my best, guys. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Appreciate right. it very much. See Thanks you around. A lot. Thanks Have a lot. Right. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Bidding on Zero podcast. These opinions are intended as entertainment. Any opinions expressed on this podcast by Bart Coons, John Pickmore, or anyone else are not necessarily Mr. Raymond James. There is no guarantee that these statements, opinions, or forecasts provided herein will prove to be correct. Any information is not a complete summary or statement of all available data necessary for making the best decision does not constitute a recommendation. Bart Coons is a financial advisor, Raymond James Associates Incorporated, member of New York Stock Exchange, member of SIPC.